Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. You're going to have to forgive me. I've been uh, under the weather for about two or three days, and um, my voice is a little bit shot uh, because Robbie and I had a terrible fight last night, and um, I gave it my all. I gave it my all. I think she, she just said, I won. I think that's what she said, something about that. Okay. So we have been in a series uh, called Humans uh, for the past couple of weeks, but I'm going to step out of that series this morning and just have a conversation with you. I, I don't really know if what I'm going to do this morning fits under a nice uh, polished category of a sermon, um, but I am going to have a conversation with you uh, this morning. And I want to uh, really, I think what has spurred this along is just what's happening in Asbury and around the country. And I think as a church, it's important that we take a look at it, that we examine it, um, and that we just have a conversation about it. So I want you to go with me today to, to the book of Acts, and I'm going to read a very uh, popular piece from Acts chapter 2. And so if you will, go with me in your Bible or Bible app to that. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to pick up um, at the tail end of, of Peter's sermon. And so Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 38, and I'm reading from the, the New King James today, but it says this, Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them and said, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. How many of you guys think that was a good day at church? Amen? And so verse uh, 42, and they continued steadfastly, watch this, in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers and fear, verse 43, came upon every soul. Now, this, this word fear is not what, what you think in terms of like a horror movie. It's more like wondering, like, like, like a big wonder, like what is going on, okay? So fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, verse 44, and all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, here's that word again, daily, 
those who were being saved. Now, I think when we look at this little passage in Acts, we can clearly say that this is a sovereign move of God. It's, it's extraordinary. It's something that cannot be uh, cajoled. It can't be drummed up. This is something that you just buckle up and you experience as God moves among people. Historically, it's always been a beautiful thing. We look at it and sometimes we're bewildered. Sometimes the fear of the Lord may come upon you as it did these people. You look at certain things and you go, wow, that is different. What is going on there? Uh, keep in mind that when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the New Testament church, many people looked and said, those guys are drunk. It, 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 some, sometimes it just looks different than what you think your faith journey should look like. And so I think it's been a beautiful thing to watch. And this is one of the, the lucky parts about having social media right now is we're able to look into and through the lens of social media and see this particular move of God. That's what I'm going to re reference it as. And so if you haven't looked at it and you haven't witnessed what's been happening the past couple of weeks, I'll just tell you. So there's been this outpouring of the Spirit on a college in Kentucky, and it's been 24 hours a day of just simplicity. It's been prayer. It's been very simple worship. It's been testimony and more prayer. So lots of worship, lots of, of prayer, and it's been very, very, very simple. And in that, there's been some beautiful things. So when I, when I look at this move of God, I start to get a lot of different thoughts about it. It makes me reflect on personal experiences. It makes me reflect on historical context. It makes me look deeper in, into scripture. But it also has, has made me a little bit jealous in that, man, I, I want some of that too. So I want to basically start, and I want you to ask yourself this question. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself, have you ever experienced the presence of God? Now, I'm, I'm not talking about a, a great sermon, and that's, that has great things in and of, of, of itself. You can't beat the Word of God. But I'm talking about a physical, tangible presence of God, like like you've either been by yourself or with a small group or in a church service or whatever, and you felt a presence of the Spirit of God. It's amazing. If, if you've experienced that, and maybe you have a prayer life where you experience that frequently, it's a beautiful thing. It's a challenging thing. It, oftentimes, it's a tearful thing. It's a joyful thing to just have the Lord's hand on your life. I remember for me, and I grew up in churches that were very demonstrative. We, we worshiped a lot. We prayed a lot. We lingered a lot. Um, our grandparents called it tarrying, like you would tarry before God. And that kind of meant wait, like you would just linger and wait and hang out and just, just wait on God to do something for someone. 
And that's what church was. It was this, this lingering process of just hanging out, wanting God to do something. And I grew up in that. But it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I actually made a conscious decision to follow Christ. And the irony there is that my parents had moved us here that summer, and it was the first time in my life, in my little experience of the world, where I had no friends and no church and no school and no connection, and I was away from everything that had normalcy to it. And so in a little bedroom off of Pleasure Street, I just felt the presence of God. Like saying basically, you feel like you got nothing, but I'm still here. And it was on that night that I made a decision to follow Christ that obviously impacted me significantly, changed the whole trajectory of my life. I began to really pursue God after that. I fell in love with the local church, dedicated my life to it after that. And I know from talking to you, many of you have also experienced the presence of God. For some of you, you have told me, Kevin, I was driving along a road. I felt the presence of God. It was so strong. I pulled over on the side of the road, gave my heart to God all by myself. There was no David Bunting playing guitar in the back seat. There was, there was nothing going on. Maybe you had a Carmen CD going. I don't know what it was. But, but something was happening in that vehicle, and you gave your heart to God. Some of you, while you were in jail, because you love the approach of Paul and Silas. You, you just said, that's how I want to do it. So you gave your heart to God while you were in jail. You felt the presence of God. I mean, you weren't going anywhere, so you might as well have just dedicated your life to God. For some of you, it's in the nighttime hours. You know, you're like, I, I had a visitation of God in my sleep, in my dreams, in my thoughts. I got up. I started to walk around the house. I just, I just couldn't stir or couldn't shake this presence of God that I felt. And those things and moments are so impressionable on our lives, we do not forget them. They, they, they stay with us for long periods of time. I, I loved hearing the stories of, of my, my grandparents talk about, about church and, or church services and, and church history. My favorite, my favorite book in seminary was, was Church History by Bruce Shelley. It's a real, I mean, thick, I mean, you, you can just nerd out on it. I mean, it's just pages full of, of just multi-denominations experiencing the presence of God. And so, like I said, these past few weeks, we have seen and, and watched this unique visitation of God on, on these students. And certainly, it's going to be a time in their life when they, uh, that they do not forget, ever. But this is not an isolated event. I will tell you that I believe and I've been hoping and, and praying that the church, the post-COVID church, would experience a renewal because it's been dry, you know, it's been thirsty. And it's not just people, it's pastors, it's leaders, it's uh, churches, and I, I, I'm not getting into it again statistically because I've already given you all of that, but you, you know people have been closing the, uh, the doors, pastors have been quitting, it, it's, been, it's been awful to watch. We need to be refreshed by the presence of God, just to be in his presence, just come to us, be with us, let us linger 
Let us be changed. Let us be transformed. Surely over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see hundreds of people be baptized there in Kentucky because of the massive work that God has done there. I'm going to revisit for just a moment, just to give you context before I get into just a couple of talking points. And you're going to be glad. See those post-it notes? That's my whole talk this morning. Okay, just to make you know that I'm not going to you know, hit an 18-pager this morning. But when you look up some history, if I just started in 1800, keep in mind, I mean, that, that's a long time ago. But the Great Awakening had already happened. So we had seen several years of lots of amazing, you know, those, those 1700s were the Jonathan Edwards uh, years. They were the, the Wesley years. Lots of preaching. Lots of people being challenged with, with the Word of God. But the Cane Ridge Revival in 1800 came into Kentucky. What is it with Kentucky? I, I guess God knows they need Jesus. I don't know what it is. This revival, and this is going to surprise you, because I think sometimes when we talk about moves of God, revive, we start to use language like that, moves of God, uh, signs and wonders. We, we immediately go, those Pentecostals are doing it again. But this is not the way of history, okay? The Cane Ridge Revival was handed off quickly to the Methodist Church and to the Baptist Church, and they ran with it for years, okay? They were seeing incredible things. Incredible preachers were coming out of that. And so that, that revival went on for several, several years and then came a second great awakening that began in 1825, again, led by the Methodist Church. So they began to run with this, lots of preaching, lots of people coming to Christ, repentance, baptisms, church planting, the holiness revival. Again, 1867, guess who? Methodist Church, okay? So... 1867, revival begins to sweep America again, this, this great wave of the presence of God. Then the Welsh revival, get this, 19, this came right at 1904. Out of that revival, one million people received Christ in 1904. Think about how rural the country was in 1904. And a million people came to Christ. Okay, that's a lot of preaching, y'all. That's a lot of preaching. Then Azusa Street, which is a very, very popular revival. There was a group of people in L.A. praying for just transformation. Like, God, change us, be with us. And a one-eyed black man named William Seymour came in from Texas and he and six other people began praying in a house and joined this group of just going, we just want to be changed in the presence of God. And it exploded. They moved into a Methodist church and they began to just see incredible things. I once had a copy of all the newspaper articles that were, that were printed about the Azusa Revival was amazing. 
Then Asbury College, the college I'm talking about this morning, in 1970, had a move of God come through the college there in the, almost the identical same way, a chapel service that just never ended. Then in the 1990s, we saw several moves of God pop up around the country from Toronto to Florida to New York. And then we can't forget Promise Keepers. Anybody remember going to Promise Keepers? Come on, man. Anybody, y'all in the house go to Promise? Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Five million men in 1996 went to a Promise Keepers event. Five million men. That's a lot. I went to one in Little Rock, and it was amazing because there was no signage. It was men from every background, every denomination, and they, they did a great job blending it. You know, I mean, they sang some hymns, and the hymn people were happy. And they sang a cappella, and the a cappella people were happy. And they brought out a B3 Hammond organ and some drums, and the Pentecostals were happy. They accommodated the crowd, but it was everyone worshiping together and it was weird because suddenly War Memorial, for those of you who might have gone to that one, War Memorial Stadium became a church. And it was wild because like, you could hear all these men singing out loud to God and, and you could feel the presence of God. And it was just so overwhelming to know that that the signage had just really fallen to the ground. Nobody cared where you were coming from and what church you had grown up in and who your dad was or if you were a pastor or a lay pastor or, or any, they didn't care about color, they didn't care about any. It was just, let's just be together and sing. And it was beautiful. And even though it's not deemed as a revival, it's certainly a move of God. It was just beautiful. And so I want to just talk out real quick some of, of the things that as we ask the Lord to move across the country and include us in this wave of his presence, things that we need to talk out just a little bit. The first one is this, to keep our focus on the presence of God and not on patterns. So the focus has to be on more of your presence, more of being with you, more of lingering with you, uh, more of talking with you, sitting with you, being with you, the presence of God and not, not patterns. Because here's what will happen with Asbury. And you, you mark these words. Somebody who is very famous, I don't know who, but they're gonna be famous, is gonna look at that move of God and they're gonna try to discover the patterns of it. And they're just simply going to try to model it and create something from it. And here's the temptation. You look at that or you look at any of these re revivals I've mentioned. Cane Ridge, The Great Awakening, The Holiness Revival, Welsh, Azusa, Asbury, Toronto, Florida, Promise Keepers. It's very tempting to look at that. And let's use Asbury for just a second. And we go, well, when did this happen? Well, they started chapel at 7 o'clock. Okay, great. We need to have a 7 o'clock service. What song were they singing? They were singing goodness of God. Well, then let's sing goodness of God. 
What other songs do you want to do? It doesn't matter. Just seven o'clock, goodness of God. What was, what was the, the, the pastor wearing or the preacher wearing? Well, he had a suit. Well, I don't like suits, but we're going to bring them back. And they'll try to develop a pattern and say that this is what God wanted. During the Brownsville revival, there was a very popular Messianic Jew who uh, went around doing a, a, a teaching. He connected with them for a while. Great teacher. But he had a teaching that made him famous, and the teaching was this. If the pattern is right, the glory will fall. That, that, that was his teaching. The pattern is right, the glory will fall. And he was basically teaching from an Old Testament angle and view, a Jewish view. And he was trying to say that all of these patterns that God had created in the Old Testament led to a certain move. And so if you emulated these patterns and you worked it out and you did it A to B to C to D and that that's how God's mind was and that's how compartmentalized church was. And so if you followed the pattern that you would be in the presence of God. And there's just some, some things wrong with that in that when you look at these moves of God and these waves of God across the country, and I'll, I'll get into this in, in just a moment, there are very, very few ingredients that, that, that carry on. We, you can't be tempted to create a laundry list and say if we'll do all this, all this laundry list, then we're gonna experience the presence of God. It's what many denominations try to do they create a laundry list and say, if you will do this, 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 and this, then you can go to heaven. When we know that the gospel is simple and we know that it's good news, and so seek the presence of God, do not seek a pattern of the move of God. Second, I would say this. When it comes to experiencing God and the presence of God, it becomes about gifts and not about groups. That God, in his presence, he brings good things. He brings goodness. A lot of times it comes in the form of re repentance and then baptism. And then many are called. Many become missionaries. Many become pastors. They become worship leaders. They want to serve his church. Marriages are transformed. There are spiritual gifts involved. It's, it's just this beautiful thing, and it does not involve groups. And I don't know where you are with that, and we can always disagree. That's the beauty of, of our church. You don't have to believe everything that I, I do. I'm not trying to convince you to be another version of myself. But I will tell you that groups are not near as important as what you glean from being in the presence of God. So it doesn't matter what sign is out front. If God's presence is there, then guess what? There are people who are there worshiping in the purity of the Spirit, and God is with them. A local pastor, this was several, several decades ago now, in our, our area, he was a pastor of a, mainstream denomination. This is right around here. I'm going to be very careful with names and stuff because I know y'all are going to start Googling the minute I say something. He was overwhelmed one day with just the presence of the, of the Lord. And he got up 
at his church. He'd been there for a very long time, and he just said, I've got a word from the Lord. He just began to just let this word gut me. It was just strong. And the body came to him respectfully. This is, this is one-on-one in information. I sat with this guy and listened to him. Tell me this story one-on-one. He said, they, they came to me respectfully and they said, we need you to leave because we don't, we don't want this. Like we don't, we don't want what you talked about. We do not want the things you mentioned. We do not want to really be in a, in a place where we might question decades of, of doctrine. We, we, don't, we don't want this. So he parted. And for years, he pastored a different church here in our, in our town and then eventually left and moved away. There was a, a moment, there's a girl on our worship team named Tina. You guys may or may not know her, but she, for years, was a worship pastor on the north side of town. And for a while, there was a church in, in Midtown, and, and they would ask her to come and lead at this other church. So on Sunday morning, she would start over there and and then go to a different church, and it was two different denominations. And, and to me, I remember just being excited about that, and I thought it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. When I first started to preach, it was the Church of God in Christ community who welcomed me in. And they would let, let me preach when I had nothing to say. Do you know what that means? <laughs> that means terrible, terrible sermon. All of it can be done in a matter of minutes. But when you have nothing to say, but there's a B3 Hammond organ behind you, you will talk for an hour. I had a guy walk up to me after a service. He said, man, I think you preached on everything this morning, including peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> well, stop playing that organ. I'll stop preaching. The church of God in Christ. When I got into my 20s, this is a beautiful thing. I talk about it as many times as I can. There was a Methodist church in Missouri. They called me and said, will you come preach here? And I said, I think you may have the wrong number. They said, no, no, we, 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 we know, and we, we, we want you to come. And I said, but you know I'm not Methodist, right? And they were like, yeah. And we were, this, this is great. Okay. So I go up there. I'm nervous. I'm like, this, this cannot end well for either one of us. And I stepped into an office and they said, hey, our elders just want to pray for you. And man, they laid hands on me and began to pray. And just the presence of God came in the room. I was relaxed. I was like, this is going to be incredible. I went out to the pulpit that morning. And as I went, this lady moved forward and came up front. And she said, I, I need to share something with the church. And I was like, why is this happening? I'm the guest speaker. I looked over at the pastor, and he said, she, she, she's good. I gave her the microphone. She gave this powerful word. I did not even want to preach after it. And we went through the, through the service, and at the end, the pastor came, said, I want to show you something. He took me to like a library, and they had this book. And in, in that book was every time somebody had given a word in that church, they had written it down and dated it so that they could always go back and look and see what the Lord was speaking to them. And I said, how in the world are you getting away with this? 
He said, because my sister's the bishop. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Pentecostal preachers at the Methodist church, what is happening? And I've always thought that that was, that was beautiful, that it was about gifts and not about groups. And I tell you that the Lord is not moving denominationally. He's moving on the hearts of people who want him near them. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't even matter if your belief system is all accurate. He just is wanting to be with people who want to be with him. Okay, let me start to wrap, wrap this up. In verse 39 of Acts chapter two, he says, for this promise is to you and your children and for those who are afar off. I think given from Acts chapter two, to February of 23, we're a people who are far away. But what God has is still for us. It's still for the church. And what this does is it let, lets you shift from a historical perspective to a perspective of right now, a present-day perspective where you go, the move of God, the presence of God, the desires of God is not a history book. It's something for every believer. It's something that every single person can have and possess. So what starts all of this? Well, it's, it's hunger. It's hunger. Okay, and this is where I'm, I'm going to land this morning. I told you it'd be simple, so here it is. It's just, it's just being hungry. The common denominator of every move of God, whether you go back and you're a revivalist and you research this and you, want, you, you look at all the things and you analyze it to, to, to death, you're going to find one common factor at, at the beginning, and that is people who said, we just want more of God. John Kilpatrick tells the story about when revival came to their church in Brownsville. He said, I was this pastor who was just so organized. He said, I knew exactly how many pins we had, how many chairs we had, uh, how, how long the service was going to be. I, I knew exactly. He even made a joke. He said, I, I know how much it is to flush a toilet around here. I mean, that 1.6 gallons per flush, I know exactly how much money that costs us every time a toilet is flushed. But he began to think about when he was a kid and going to simple, simple prayer meetings and he just started asking people, will you just come and pray with me? Will you just come and pray with me? And that number grew from 2 to 6 to 16 to 30 and so on. And they were just praying. God, be close to us. Come near to us. And it wasn't about celebrities. It wasn't about packing the church. It wasn't about growth. It wasn't about, it was just about God, just bring, bring your presence. Let it, be, let it be near us. And I'm telling you what, the church in America, we need this more than anything. We need it more than ever before. God, be close to us. Come near to us. Maybe some of you have not felt the presence of God in a long time and you're dry and you're thirsty and your relationship with God feels more like a desert. Say, God, come close to us. Be near us. And if you can let go of of a particular thought and a way and a model and a sign and you can let go of all those things and just say, God, just be close to us. That's my, my prayer for us this morning is that we get hungry. And it was, it was one time in 
the ministry, I got really dry and I went to a mentor of mine. I said, man, I gotta be honest with you. Like, I'm not hungry right now. I don't wanna read my Bible. I'm not wanting to pray. I'm not wanting to do church. It's like, I'm just, I'm just barren, man. I'm just dry. And his advice to me was this, just ask the Lord to make you hungry. Tell God about it. Tell him exactly what you told me. Tell him and ask him for hunger. So last week when I saw all these things, that's, that's been my prayer for the week. God, make us hungry. Bring us to a place of hunger. And you know that nobody needs to punch a ticket. I know that's our, the, the, the temptation. Let's all load up and go to Asbury. Let's, let's punch tickets. Let's get there. Let's experience it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what the best way to experience God? Go to church. Be around God's people. And pray with somebody. Worship next to somebody. Just be in church. Any church. Be around the people God called you to be with and live life with and just exalt the name of Jesus and let his presence come. And so I'm, I'm so thankful that we get this opportunity to be together, to pray, to worship, to baptize. Because that's the presence of God. And my challenge for us is to just seek it. I don't know what it's going to happen with Asbury. It could finish tomorrow. I don't know. But my, my prayer is, God, make our church hungry for the presence of God because where his presence is is everything that we need. Okay, Scripture says in Psalm 16, 11, it says that in your presence is the fullness of joy. I can't get any happier than I am in your presence. I cannot get any more fulfilled than when I'm in your presence. I can't be any more healed than when I'm in your presence. I can't be any more at peace or any more uh, calming than I am when I'm in your presence. It's the fullness. So bring us your presence, okay? So this morning, man, as we, as we sing, as we're together, let's just recognize this moment for what it is, that it's sacred and it's holy. It's a moment we don't get back to just worship God and say, be with us. Let me be full, full of peace and full of healing, full of all the goodness of the Lord. Amen. Now you guys stand with me this morning. Let's go after God these next few moments. Just say, God, if you're in this place, you say, God, I'm not hungry. Let's just pray, God, make us hungry. Fill our church with the hunger for the spirit and the presence of the Lord. Amen. Let's go to God today.